Game Boys. Hey there, Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Game Boys Podcast. My name is Lux and I'm your host, and joining me as always, he only has negative thoughts. It's Griffin Davis. Uh, yeah. Um, I only have negative thoughts when my co-host is in the big pen, the penitentiary. Well, luckily, you were spared your negative thoughts this week. Um, cause here's what's happening. Uh, I'll explain right now. We were going to record a regular episode this week, but I was taking part in a big protest, uh, to shut down one of the detention centers for immigrant women. And it was heavily suspected that I was going to go to a uh, prison for a couple of days. As you can see or hear, I didn't, which is a great and that's outcome. Because you, and that's cause you min max stealth and lock picking, right? Um, yeah, basically. Um, sort of what happened is we, we built a Sukkot, which is like a Jewish structure thing that you do for Sukkot, which is the Jewish holiday that is this week. And we took it and we used it to block the entrance to one of the detention centers and then had some other people praying and dancing at the other entrance. And we all sort of assumed that they would eventually call the cops. And instead they just sort of were like, well, we'll shut down operations till you leave. Um, so we were there for several hours and they didn't do anything and they shut down operations and no one could enter or exit, but they didn't call the cops either. Um, sure. And that was it. Yeah. PVP PVP was flagged, but no one uh, no one attacked. Yeah. OK. Yeah. There we go. That's, I think, a more apt a more apt example of what happened. <laughs> you were in contested territory. Yeah, exactly. But no uh, one showed, but no one showed up. All jokes aside, uh, I was really proud of you this week for doing that. I don't know. It's like it's so easy to complain online and just kind of witness the horror and then go to sleep. But you you logged off. And you went IRL to to do some stuff. And I don't know. It's just it's great. It inspired me to do more. Um, well, thanks, and, bud. and hopefully it can inspire some of our listeners in America, hopefully to help uh, go down there and protest as well. I know there's some organizations that, that you know to plug um, yeah, totally. th- that can kind of help this. Um, this just atrocity that's happening in America right now. Totally. Um, I think a few things. One is like, I think it's. I was talking to people in LA when I was out visiting about this. And a lot of people were like, I can't believe you're doing that. That's so crazy. Right. And I think that it's a lot easier to do when it's right in your backyard. Um, than you think it is like, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's easy for people to go online and just complain about stuff, but it's e- also easy to take action when shit's like an hour from your house. Yes. And that's also what's shocking about this one is, I mean, I, I lived in Austin, you know, in, in the same town as you for a long time. And I think when we think of these, these camps, we think of them on like this, the, the, just the border. Right. Um, but like these camps were in like Hutto and, and Taylor, which is like, yeah, like, like 30 minutes outside of Austin, yeah, it's like which an is, which is an the hour liberal, north of Austin, the liberal bastion, uh, of Texas. And you could throw a rock at, at these concentration camps. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's wild on that level when I heard they were in Hutto now. Yeah, exactly. When it's up there, it's, it's up there, it's in a, uh, in Taylor and it's like, yeah, I mean, I thought the worst thing to happen in Taylor was the, when they filmed the Transformers movies there. But no, this is way worse. Yeah, they just edged out Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> he's coming up with something new, though, I promise. Because he's, he's, Bay got to stay on top. Um, but yeah, no, it's like, a, yeah, I think that it's important to do that stuff when it's nearby and it's accessible. Um, and it is, you know, and so I think obviously there's going to be more actions here and there are probably actions close to where you live. Um there's shit all over the country that is fucked up and in this particular way. I mean, famously, there's like an ice center in Rhode Island, you know? 
Um, right. Like, so you can you can find stuff. And there are organizations doing things. And a couple of those organizations that are very cool. Um, I was working with a group called Never Again or Never Again Action, which is a very cool Jewish organization. There's also If Not Now. Um, both of these are places that will happily take your donations, if only to pay for legal funds and transportation. And that can that can make a big difference. Um, I mean, we weren't able to we wouldn't have been able to do what we did without um, a fair amount of fundraising to get the materials for the sukkah and get the bus and get um, stuff for everyone and like make sure that we had legal fees on deck if I, if me and a couple other people were to get arrested. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to to look out for those kind of things, because even if you can't be there to do stuff, if you donate money, it, it goes it goes a long way. Obviously, organizations like the the DSA is doing good work and they then you can help them out, too. Like there's there's a lot of good orgs that are trying to to sort of help deal with the horrible shit that exists in the world. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's a combination. It's like you donate to those places, but also just be loud as fuck online um, about this shit. You know, uh, talk to other people about it. You know, I feel like uh, even like four or five years ago, it was like embarrassing to talk about like politics or like bigger issues or just like, oh, man, we're all trying to hang out. We're way past that shit now. Like, tell everyone, you know, you know, this is a fucking this is horseshit bullshit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely it is a mix, right? It's like like there are people who definitely exist who like donate some money and they're like, I've done my activism for the month or whatever. Um, and don't be like that because like, if there are things you can do, it's important to go do them if you can. Um, obviously like no one's obligated to like put themselves in danger. Like I'm not going to say go out there and like risk arrest like I was doing. Right. Um, but a lot of these protests have systems in place where like, this is something that I learned organizing with this is that like a lot of these protests have like, there's a group who's risking arrest. They'll be in this area, which is like the arresty area. But if right. you want to be there and you don't want to risk arrest, there's like a non-arresty area you can hang out in. It's called, yeah, the splash zone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The technical term is splash zone. That's correct. <laughs> um, and so you guys all wear ponchos, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, and so like, yeah, you can, there's, there's a lot of ways like there's, you don't have to be doing like actual, like hard body civil disobedience, although I encourage it, but I don't think it was obligated yeah. to do that. Um, but there's a lot of ways you can help out. And I can say from experience that like when you're doing civil disobedience and feel like you're in danger, seeing, you know, dozens of people who maybe aren't taking the same risks, but are there supporting you, like goes a long way to making the like anxiety and fear go away. Um, and so it, it does help even if you're just there, like waving a sign around with no intention of possibly getting in trouble that can go, that can do a lot. Yeah. It's also, yeah. In a way it can also be like selfish. It can make you feel, I don't know, like there, yeah, like there's other people around you that, that care as much as you about this and that you're not screaming into a void. Um, and so that shit's all really important. We're going to put the links to at least a few of those organizations uh, in the in the bio of this podcast episode. And we'll do a post on the Instagram um, with more information about that stuff, too. Uh, you know, that's kind of what's been happening um you know, in in a, in America, but uh, zooming out even more, we've talked a lot about uh, Hong Kong. Um, I do make a lot of jokes about not being able to quit World of Warcraft, uh, but it is also like a, an equally important uh, issue, and is only going to become bigger and bigger as China takes over the world. Um, so I also wanted to mention uh, the Hong Kong Free Press, uh, which is a great website you can donate to. It's not for profit. It's run by journalists and it's completely independent. Um, they rely on like these readers uh, and donations to help safeguard the press freedom uh, and the few bits of information that we get. 
uh, down there. Um, so you can go to hongkongfp.com uh, to like learn more, or at least just read more about this shit and, and submit some money. Um, I know I'm going to donate some money to that. Uh, and uh, I will probably be matching my World of Warcraft subscription with the Hong Kong Free Press. I think that's like a pretty good way to balance the scale. Which, which puts me back in at, at zero, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, I think zero is a lot better than some folks. So I think you're doing okay. Um, but those are the issues. But now there's one, there's one big issue we haven't talked about yet. There's a grand issue. A sort and, of meta overarching issue that's sort of the defining our times in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, we talked a lot about politics, but now it's time to talk about religion. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, in the form of uh, the, the film that's that's really uh, awakened something in the in, in the world. And that's the jokester. Yeah, the jongler's trick. <laughs> Jogan's joke. Yeah, <laughs> Jogan's joke. Everyone loves it. But yeah, we're going to talk about since uh, since all I was traveling and all this jail stuff was happening, the organizing. We haven't had to like play a serious game or get a guest. The one thing we have both done recently is see the Joker. Um, mm. See the friggin' Joker live and, in the movie. And for me, it's like what what day is today? It's October seventeenth. Uh, it's a, so it's been like two weeks since the movie came out. There's already been uh, what I would say as plenty of discourse, but it seems like this is kind of an evergreen topic that is has sort of unlimited discourse. It Liter- feels like. I'll say this. I'll, I'll really cover up on the South Park podcast or Wisecrack we did today. We got a voicemail about the Joker. Yeah, today. It doesn't- <laughs> It doesn't seem like something that's going to in, in our, you know, in our era of 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 constant news stories and stuff, you know, something may happen one day that we completely forget two days later because there's like 30 to 50 feral hogs. Uh, this, for some reason, seems to stick. It seems to stick into the into the zeitgeist in a way unlike anything else. Um, and it seems like uh something that we will have to be thinking about for a very long time. Uh, but uh, so. Uh, I want to just start with what, what, what are your initial thoughts uh, about the jokester? Um, OK, so I have a weird uh, sort of three headed King Ghidra type opinion about this movie. OK, um, on one level as a movie, let them fight as one movie at one level, like as just a straight up movie, absent sort of any kind of like political or subtextual like thinking about it. It's like fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's kind of boring. Right. Uh, it looks good. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is good. Not a lot happens. It's OK. Completely agree on that level. So boring. Um, yeah, very, very like, little happens. You're waiting the entire time for it to happen. And most of the movie is in the trailer. Yeah, totally. And so on, on like that level, it's like whatever. Then you've got sort of its sociopolitical argument, which I think is just dog shit, um, <laughs> which I think is just like incoherent jibber jabber. That mm-hmm. makes no sense. Right. I think that because it, it there's like lots of little things about it that are crazy. Right. Like they're like, man, the thing is, Thomas Wayne, he's a dick who thinks all the poor people are stupid, but they all love him anyway. But then all, every time it shows you the working class people, they're fucking psychos dressed as clowns. Like there's yes. no disproving Thomas Wayne. And the flip to that is that it spends the movie being like society made the Joker crazy. And then later, by the way, spoilers for the Joker. Um, And then later it's like. Actually, he got hit in the head a lot as a child, so he's crazy. So it's like all of the sort of arguments it's making, it just intentionally undercuts constantly. Absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree on that level. And I'll let you and I'll let you get to your your other points. But just of what you said right there. um, Yeah, it it feels like 
it's one of those movies where it checks a bunch of different boxes. Uh, it's like, oh, this movie's about abuse. No, it's about uh, how the how our fundamental structures of government like let those who are like weak and need the most help become weaker and 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 toss them aside. Uh, it, it sort of checks all these boxes to where you can just take whatever you want out of this movie and 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 apply it to yourself uh, in this in this way that's like it's almost like the it, it's like it's kind of like uh, it's like the same feeling of like go, like listening to like the Joe Rogan podcast where it's like like there's like all of these ideas and you're just like it's like it's like a sieve where it's like who knows just take whatever you want out of that yeah um, totally I but, think that's a really good comparison it's like it's just a jumble of shit and it doesn't yeah and there are movies that are jumbles of shit in that way that are much more interesting because they give you kind of like a lens uh the lens of like this is what we want you to think about this jumble of shit or this is how we want you to think about this jumble of shit which this movie like simply does not right um and and i i think though that like um certain things uh about the frame of this movie seem to whether it's on accident or not do frame the batman universe in an interesting way uh one of one of my favorite things is this idea for the very first time after decades of batman content this idea that batman's father was a bad guy because he was a billionaire is huge uh, it's, it's like insanely reflective of our times. Uh, I think every other Batman, uh, property before this was like, oh, isn't it cool that like Batman's really rich? Uh, and now it's like, oh, well actually like what did, who is Thomas Wayne? What does he make? Why is he a billionaire? And, and he's a billionaire and still the city is garbage. Yeah. He, you know? It's sort of a, who is your daddy and what does he do? Yes. Um, is like what something this movie is asking after. And like, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think the movie gets after that. And like the movie, like the movie does things that I like sort of conceptually, like it is really interested in the sea of the politics of recognition, which I think are like an important idea um, in society. Right. The idea that like the act of like being seen by like forces that be is itself a political thing. I think like that's smart. I think that the idea that uh, billionaires aren't going to save you is smart. I think the idea that like social services are good for people with mental illness is smart. Then there's like the rest of the movie, um, right. which yeah, like yeah, exactly. fucks all that shit up. Yeah. Um, which is crazy, which brings me to my third thing about this movie, which is I remain 75% convinced that this movie is a big prank. That this, <laughs> this movie is a big joke about how it's dumb that anyone cares so much about the Joker. Um, yeah, and that's totally I totally disagree with you. I don't think Todd Phillips is anywhere near that smart or self-reflective. Like this is the director who said PC comedy is too hard. Yes. Like it's there's no way he's he's like seen multiple layers of this context. Well, here's the thing. There's a couple a couple of arguments that I'm going to make to to show my point here. One is there was famously a video of Joaquin Phoenix being like so fucking into being the Joker that he freaked out at a guy on set. Um, this was staged. They've admitted that mm-hmm. they like made that up. Like that was a bit. Yeah. Um, two, uh, I think that there's a lot of comedy that asks you to laugh at the Joker, like laugh at the guy. Yes. Right. And I think that the, a Joker movie that wanted you to think the Joker is cool and take him seriously. want to put you in the Joker's worldview of being like laughing at the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And the movie takes the world very seriously and laughs a lot at the Joker. Yeah. Um, so that's point two. My third point on this that I think is is particularly interesting is that like 
what's a good way to put this? That um, Todd Phillips has a history of making movies about uh, dumb guys being dumb and thinking they're smart. Um, that's almost every Todd Phillips movie, and including if you want the G.G. Allen movie, although I think G.G. Allen is cool. But um, I'm willing to buy arguments that a guy who takes shits during his musical performances maybe isn't that smart. Um, <laughs> but a lot of his movies are about dumb guys who think they're smart and then they do a bunch of dumb stuff. And it feels like this, in a certain way, kind of follows in that tradition, right? Like, I mean, Road Trip has a ton of that. Um, obviously, the Hangover movies are just built on that basic premise. Yeah. Part um, three, especially. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, uh and so, so yeah, I think that this movie guys. kind of falls in this tradition of like, he's a dumb guy who thinks he's a smart guy and does a bunch of dumb stuff. Um, the thing that this movie does that complicates that is that then a bunch of other people are like, you're not a dumb guy. But also he's not. a. But in this context, he's not a dumb person. He's a mental health issue. And that's different than being a dumb guy. As a guy who's sometimes dumb and always has a mental health issue, I assure you, you can be both. Yeah, but like that's like a I think that muddies things for me because like, is it about mental health or is it about a dumb guy? I don't know. To me, it seemed like distinctly about mental health. The movie like wants you to be on the Joker side for most of it. I mean, definitely like definitely like laughs at like the situations he gets put. He puts himself in but um yeah like overall i mean people like fucking applaud when he puts the makeup on yeah you know? that's like, well one thing with this movie and we talked this in the wisecrack episode about it too is that like i think your theater experience really kind of matters to how you take away this movie largely because we were talking percent largely because of what we were talking about before about how it's like such a nothing movie that you just kind of projection onto it you're right but, like, it is it's the ultimate projection movie it's the ultimate meme and gif movie where you just it's like no one's gonna watch it a second time but we're gonna be reposting like gifs and memes of this thing forever yeah i mean i don't I can't wait for the DVD to come out so I can get that clip of him walking down the stairs to Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part 2. Okay. Well, let's we'll I'm glad it, we'll, you mentioned that. Yeah, we'll we, get to that in a second. Yeah, but um and I think you're right. Like you're you're largely right, but I think that like so with the theater experience, like for me, I went to go see this movie with a friend of the podcast, Rory Blank. Um, and Rory and I just thought it was like so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> like we were just laughing. And the there's whole, jokes. And there's we were just, jokes we were just laughing it. the whole time, both the jokes intentional and unintentional, I think. Right. Um and so yeah, I mean, when the homeboy gets in the fridge. Oh, my God. So funny. <laughs> Very good. So funny. So confusing. Um, Like, that's like a true A to C. Like, there really was no B. It was just like, I'm in my kitchen. The phone rings. I'm getting in the fridge. I thought I thought it was an homage to Mr. Freeze. Oh, nice. Yeah. Calling. <laughs> and then later he gets confused a la the Riddler. Um, <laughs> but like I, I it just like there's something like that that's so fucking funny. And so to me, the whole movie was like infected by this, like me and Rory, like snarking off at the movie, which I think plays into my interpretation of the movie could be read as like kind of a joke or a prank. And I think that other people I know, like um, like uh, other folks I know who've seen the movie. Where like this movie was so intense, and I think it's because it's on a theater with a bunch of people who are like ready for this movie to be who, so who finding intense. It intense. And that's the thing is like you'd get whatever you want out of this movie in this way that I've just never seen before. Like, yeah, totally. It is your it is your personal experience, and you really engage with it however you want because the movie is such a sieve in a in a way. Uh, my theater was. <laughs> 
very it was one of the worst theaters i've been in in a long time uh one guy's phone went off six times uh he never silenced it uh and because his phone went off so many times a guy across the theater started screaming at him so then there was like two separate like noises happening at once uh people like ood and odd uh People clapped when he put on the makeup. People clapped at the credits. And it was like a Monday night. It was not even opening weekend. Like, it was a Monday night. So this movie is is speaking to people because it can speak to anyone in any way. You can go in and have an ironic experience. You can go in and have a Fight Club-esque experience. Like, you, you, you can take whatever you want from this. And that's, like, what's so, what's so ultimately fascinating and like what will make this movie like stick much longer than something that had a definitive statement right i think the last movie actually this, this is actually an interesting thing i think the last movie that was kind of in the zeitgeist quite as long and quite as intensely was uh the last jedi sure um, and it had kind of the opposite thing where that movie had a very clear set of like yeah things it was doing and it wasn't about people projecting their own meaning onto it. It was like people reacting to a very clear set of messages where they would have much preferred something way less, more, way more general, way more take what you want from it. Right. Totally. But I think it's really interesting that those are kind of the two endpoints, right? Is like, yeah, people wanted an intellectual Joker movie. So they like inserted a lot of intellectualism into a Joker movie that super does not have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people wanted a more happy go lucky Star Wars movie. And got mad that they didn't get that and then were upset with that. And I think that it's interesting that these are sort of the the ways in which people get mad is like you can either you can give them too much to think about or not enough to think about. And it's like very hard to hit that right dose for like these like pop culture zeitgeisty movies. And this, the Joker in particular is interesting because like for some reason people just think the Joker is very important. Right. Like like the Joker. Hold on. Actually, I want to vamp for one second because I want to pull up a Joker comic I have on my phone. Uh, yeah, to um, to read uh, some excerpts of like what the Joker has been in the past. Well, yeah, I mean, the Joker has like been important to people because it is like it represents like the villainy of the time or whatever. Right. So like we had this like Jack Nicholson Joker who just like made stuff weird and goofy. And it was kind of like a goofy time of like no consequences. And then like post 9-11, we had this like grimy, like earthy Heath Ledger Joker. And then it was and it was kind of it, it's like his purpose was to say, like, everyone wake up, you know, like wake up from your from your I don't know, your your doldrum, your the whole the whole fake life that we've all been living. Uh, and then there was um, the Jared Leto uh, Joker. And that was just the um, time where like every that was the time where everyone was irony brain poisoned. But before that had like real stakes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, we, yeah, we didn't really know how deep we'd gone. And I think the casting directors like and the people who like helped Jared come up with this character, they were they were kind of like, yeah, I don't we don't they didn't know how much the internet had already melted our brains. Um, and it was kind of like this like weird sparkly product. Well, especially, but also super weird. Like he's, there's that shot where he's like sitting in his big chair with his big coat and then his, his desk is just like dozens of knives. Like it never like, like accounted for how silly that shit was. Um, and you even go further back, right? You have like the Alan Moore Joker who is, this like interesting commentary on like the idea of the origin story where like he just makes it up or whatever. 
Um, and you have like the Grant Morrison Joker who is, uh, what is it? They say he's hyper sane because the world is totally insane and illogical and he's the only person who like gets it. So he's the only real sane person. Yeah. Um, and you can even go further back to like the older ones and where it's like he's just a guy who fell in some chemicals and turned crazy. Like, <laughs> And that was just because there was a lot of workplace hazards at the time. And that was what was reflected <laughs> that, in society. That was pre-OSHA. But like <laughs> this is like this is some Joker dialogue from like an old Joker comic. It just says, so they laugh at my boner, will they? I'll show them. I'll show them how many boners the Joker can make. This emphasis on boners has given me an idea for a new adventure in crime. Gotham City will rue the day it mentioned the word boner. Um, then uh, the next page is a Gotham Gazette that is headlined stung by his boner. The Joker lashes back loot stalled liner, large diamond collection stolen first boner crime. Like the Joker's a goof. Like it, for a long time, the, these Batman comics didn't like ascribe a huge, like sense of like ideology to the Joker. And even when they did, it was mostly like in critique of broader ideology. Like, it really isn't until the key, the Heath Ledger Batman really, or the Heath Ledger Joker really that like, it felt like the Joker represented anything more than just like, like crazy bad guy. Well, it was the first Batman that was like fundamentally in our world. It like had no like preconceptions. Like it wasn't like, oh, we're in Tim Burton land again. Like, no, it was like we're in just like some like New York or Chicago looking ass city. Right. This is like, know? you know, it used to be I learned recently that Gotham was technically in New Jersey and that New York was just <laughs> like and New York was just like a little while north of there. Um, and like this is like the first thing that takes place in continuity where like Gotham is New York. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, like, it's like the first time that we've been like, oh, I, the the Joker could exist in our world. And, but then Todd Phillips comes along and is like, well, what if we really explore like the failed co- like comedy aspect of him, like with the whole stand up and everything? Um, and then he just tries to tack on every other issue, rich versus poor, mental health, all these different things into this like big grab bag that you can take from. Well, and what's particularly funny about exploring the, the failed stand up thing is that. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong with this, but I'm pretty confident. Um, like the failed setup thing only really ever comes up as like a comic book thing in the Alan Moore like Killing Joke Joker, like when he's explaining his backstory, which is which he then explains is like a lie, right? right. Like it, there's no real part in the comic canon at all that indicates that the Joker is a failed standup. It's just like the 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 movie decided that he was well there's like there's plenty of like uh iterations of the joker where he makes a bad joke right um, but that's his but, that's like yeah. the fun of the joker right is that that's another thing about this movie right is that this joker doesn't make jokes right like the mark hamill animated series joker my personal favorite of all jokers is like constantly making dumb shitty jokes where he's like he like the like Batman falls in a lion's cage. He's like, looks like the cat's out of the bag now, bats. And now I disagree. I actually thought the jokes were funny, but it was all about presentation because like like the jokes that he like writes sometimes are kind of funny, like anti humor jokes. It's like there's like a joke where he's like he tells someone he's like, knock, knock, like, oh, it's your whole family and they're dead. Like that's, that just, a bad, that's could- just a dead baby joke. <laughs> Yeah, but like that could be funny, like on how you like present it, especially like back then in like the 70s or whatever. My thing is this, that like there he has some funny jokes. He has a good joke about um, what is it? Uh, the He's like, my mom told me I was going to have to work hard if I wanted to make money. And I said, nah, mom, I'm going to be a comedian, which is a very funny joke for him to make since he sucks at comedy. Um, the the whole like the thing about having mental health or mental illness is people want you to behave uh, as though you don't is not really a joke, but is like an interesting observation. It's just that like, it's not, he's not 
doing like fun, goofy bits, really, until like the very end. And even then, only kind of. Right. Right. Like his big speech at the end is just like we live in a society. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's no civility. So I'll start. Yeah, he killing literally people. says like, a, um, what do you get when you cross a loner with a society that abandons him and doesn't do anything? Uh, you get what you deserve. Right. He shoots Robert De Niro in the head. Um which is bonkers. Okay. Yeah. And and I need to talk about this freaking society for a second, because the society showcased in this film is insane. Uh, like the fact that you would do an open mic set, bomb someone, film it, send it to late night, and then they would just like play it on all the shows and have you on. Especially in insane. 1981. Like, like I could see that happening, honestly, today with like just viral culture stuff. But like 38 yeah. years ago. No dice, bud. <laughs> it's it's maddening. And it's like you like you're rooting for Robert De Niro to get shot because it's so cruel what they're doing yeah. to this guy. Like, it's pretty wild. So, like, I feel like if they had a more like realistic depiction of how society abandons people other than just like these cr- like these just insane moments where the city like acts out against him. Uh, I feel like it would have made a lot more sense. And then also I was shocked at how much the the city was inspired by the Joker. Like um, how many people had masks on deck? Like, yeah, like everyone already had one bought and they're like, oh, so this <laughs> is what like, I'm going to use gonna this, this for. one day for <laughs> sure. <laughs> one day for, for something. Uh it's like he kills these three like Wall Street looking guys on a subway who are like harassing him physically and like being like weird clockwork yeah, orange like guys to him. Uh, yeah, but they're also like doing this song like there are parts of this movie that are just like so bad. It's like embarrassing to watch. And like one of them is like when these Wall Street guys are like clockwork oranging around yeah. in the subway. It's just like really tough to watch for me. Like I got squirmy on that one. Uh, like like why would he sing send in the clowns right then? It's just like so over the top. Yeah, well, like There's this weird shitty. tension because in the mood like part of me is like the movie's world was too wacky and dumb. And then another part of me was like, this world's not wacky and dumb enough because like it's not yeah. it didn't feel like a weird Gotham where like everything's topsy turvy and cartoony the way that like it is in some of the comics or in the cartoon. Um, it's just like right. a version of our world, but like everything is stupid. Yeah. And so like this is he kills these three guys and then society immediately is like, oh, we love this clown now. Like there's a clown killer and we all resonate with him. And for me, like a way to like make this movie a lot less boring is like for that to be like a midpoint and a lot more to happen. Like uh, it just it just seemed like if he had done more killings, maybe then he would have inspired more people or something like that. But like this rush after just like one insane act of violence, like to just like for everyone to rally around it is insane. Yeah, to totally. Me. It goes from from zero to 100 super fast. Um, yeah. Uh, and so then he goes on this talk show and he says, uh, hashtag society and he kills De Niro. And then there's this whole big, uh, this city scene where everyone's like rallying for him. And then is it revealed that that's actually See, the a ending dream is tough, right? The ending is, do they get him after that? And, and it's like, and if right. this is the aftermath or is it that he's like been in there the whole time and the whole movie was a dream or is it like. That he never makes it out of Arkham when he gets to Arkham in the middle of the movie. And the fact that the movie does this is just emblematic of what it does with every theme in this movie. 
Huh? I don't know. Yeah. You decide. Like, that's this entire movie in a nutshell. Uh, and that's honestly why it's so fucking yeah, totally. successful. Just, everyone gets to it's like everyone already had to take on the Joker because like you have to because like of how Internet go. Um, and then with everyone having to take on the Joker already, the movie didn't do anything to point anyone in any actual direction. And so they ended up just like reinforcing what they already thought about the Joker. Um, mm-hmm. So here's an interesting thing from our friend Forrest. Um, who showed this to me? Apparently, one thing the Joker is doing is introducing a lot of leftist rhetoric to the 4chan universe. Um, interesting. A, like what? Yeah, like this Richard is a post that Forrest sent me, which is very crazy. He says it's it's from a guy named Anonymous with a Pepe the Frog as the Joker avatar. Um, okay. goes, guys, Here I had an epiphany this weekend after the movie. I realized that no, how much, no matter how much more money another person makes or how big of a celebrity they are compared to my loser neat ass, I am just as deserving of life as they are. Why does the media and popular culture mourn the loss of assholes like the talk show host Murray or the Wall Street guys, but not the deaths of everyday losers like Arthur? Could we be indoctrinating to, indoctrinated into believing that those who make more money, quote unquote, productive members of society... And those who distract us from politics, church preachers and celebrities are somehow more valuable people and more deserving of life than us. If a baby is born in Boston, goes to Harvard and becomes a lawyer and another is born in Detroit and becomes a homeless drug addict. Why should the lawyer be more deserving of a good life or be more valuable than the homeless? I'm starting to think the commies are onto something. What if social hierarchies are artificial and capitalism is antithetical to human nature? Whoa. Okay, so like if we can, if this movie turns incels into class conscious socialists, yeah, I mean, I'm most down. of the people on the thread apparently reacted very negatively, but like the <laughs> fact that it even exists and is like becoming part of that discourse. Oh, this fucking Chad over here. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Every every Chad is a communist. It's just really interesting to me, uh, especially because, like. I've seen I was really shocked to see how many people were like this movie is a leftist workers rights movie. Well, yeah, because it has I mean, it has certain things that you could take from it that way. I mean, this whole Thomas Wayne. Yeah, totally. I mean, it has those things, but like it doesn't have like. It's weird because it's like rich people are bad, but also poor people are bad. And it's like, well, what is that? What do I suppose? What am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, right. It's 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 very much doesn't. Yeah, it's it's like a it it mentions all these topics and then like takes a very non-committal approach to any of them, um, except the fact that like oh a talk show host. Yeah, kind of although mean. I did one thing I did like about the movie that I want to say really quick is that it had a really weird set design, and like really weird prop design. Like all of them, the headlines of the newspapers are all like written like a crazy guy wrote them. They're all like murder clowns yes. gone wild. The giant rats. Um, yeah, super rats destroying town. Like. Yeah, and it's like really fucked up that we never yeah, that got to see those super lot. rats. And there's another, there's a shot towards the end during that rally of like everyone being like, "Joker, good gamers, rise up! We're having a, a argue, we're going crazy." Yeah, <laughs> bring like, back we're going Fortnite. Nuts. Um, there was a guy holding what appeared to be like a Pier One Imports wicker chair and waving it around in the background. Like there was just weird <laughs> shit like that, like in every scene. Which like I don't know. The movie just feels very surreal, which maybe speaks to like the fact that it was all just his like weird dream in Arkham or something. Um speaking of surreal, I, I another positive aspect, like uniformly without any kind of like uh conflict, is the music. Uh the music fucking rocks like the sound like the original soundtrack this woman made is incredible. She records all of her music on top of a nuclear Whoa. reactor. Um she is just this wild artist and the music is 
very good. And the music in combination with Joaquin's performance are uh, like inarguably good things and like allow this movie I will to say the movie, survive a in a lot of ways. Cello. A little yeah. heavy on the cello. A lot of cello stings this movie where I was like, we get it. <laughs> Use yeah, a trumpet some, or something. It's funny, though, it's funny you put that out though because you're right. The original score is for the most part, aside from maybe being a little heavy on the cello, really good. And then all of the sort of OST soundtracking stuff um, is yes, which brings us the, to yeah, is the stare. Totally insane. Well, it's not just there's a right. Like they do like have a nice day when he's like sad walking home from work. Like they have so many weird on the nose yeah. ones. And then there's one right. This is the key: is most of the audio, like all, most of the needle drops, are very on the nose. And then there is one <laughs> that cannot be described as anything but totally insane. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I think it really it's like I think this music choice was to try to make all of us break like jokers, like make our minds break because he the the stare scene is iconic in the trailer. Uh, it's cut to the trailer, but the music they use in the actual film is a little yeah, so, bit different. OK, so this is important because this is the moment where he like decides to turn into the Joker. Um, so you're like, is at his house and you have like the cello heavy fucking OST play or uh, sound or score playing and he's painting his face yes. and he's putting on the suit and he's dancing around in his bathroom for some reason and he's getting weird. And then he's walking out of the house with a th- with a suit and a thing of flowers and all the makeup on and then he gets to the stairs and notably throughout the movie, he's like always struggling to walk up this same flight of stairs and then he gets there and he's going down them easy as a breeze. And the song that plays in the background is Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part 2. Let's play a little bit of that right now. And don't worry, Gary Glitter will not collect royalties from Game Boy's podcast. And he's too busy uh, fighting off uh, suits about uh, fucking underage girls to uh, sue us. So that was the song. Um, Yeah, so that song blew my mind when it started playing. Uh, Not even because I knew the history and context behind the song, but just the fact that it's like a song that's played at like football games in high school. It's number one jock jock jam jam. all time. Uh, It is, it is the second, like I, I, at the time I watched it and I squirmed and I felt embarrassed, but it might be my favorite part of yeah, this movie now. I mean, it's up there for me. It's just like such an insane needle drop. Especially because every, like I said before, like mm-hmm. every other one is so on the nose. Um, like all, every other one is like a song about smiling or being happy or being a clown or laughing. Like there's a very clear theme to every yeah. other one. And then this is just fucking hardcore fucking like jock jam it's wild and it's like it's it's so and it's so like perfectly emblematic because it's like just like the rest of this movie it is simultaneously like a a moment that means nothing but a moment that stews controversy nonetheless because it's used it's like it's just so dumb it's like you're using this convicted pedophile gary glitter song in this thing it's also tonally comes out of nowhere i mean it is just it is just like i don't think i've ever had a moment like perfectly sum up a movie uh in 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 what the entire vibe is it's great i think it's perfect i'm looking on the news right now it says that uh gary glitter will not collect royalties for this uh, which i guess is good um 
but overall it was it was really baffling uh in this way that i initially rejected but now fully accept. <laughs> yeah i'm i agree i'm pretty much exactly on board it was it fucked up my brain when i saw it but the more i think about it the more that that's like the most fun bit it also again speaks to my like this whole thing is a dumb prank like that just feels like such a silly choice. That is the biggest. Oh, this might be a yeah, potential. That in the fridge are the two biggest moments. But I just fundamentally don't think uh, a director that complains about PC culture could make a joke. Yeah, that I mean, good. I, I kind of buy that. <laughs> but then again, it's weird to me that a guy who made a Gigi Allen documentary like thinks PC culture is bad. Do you know what I mean? Like Todd Phillips is confusing. Right. It's also just really like the yeah. Gigi Allen thing is like a real really fucks with me as far as my perception of Todd Phillips. Like I have not seen it, so I don't I don't Well Gigi Allen Gigi Allen's just like a weird noise metal guy who would like do like weird like shitting on stage and like getting naked and crazy guy performances. Right. And was always kind of like, oh the system sucks. I love to shit or whatever. Um mm-hmm. and yeah. so like the fact that Todd Phillips made that movie is just like real weird. Cause that was clearly like a passion project. You know? Like no one else was gonna make that movie. Right. So yeah. like it's just a weird thing. Um do you have anything else? Yeah. So, no, I mean, that's that's the movie. I mean, everyone else has been talking about it. It's baffling. You can take whatever you want out of it. I don't think I'll watch it again, but surely I will be reposting images from it until the end of time. Uh, yeah, no, that is no doubt true. Um, well, I guess that's that's our episode. So just real quickly to recap, um, if you want to help out and make a difference and do stuff in this fucked up world to make sure we don't turn into Joker Town or whatever. <laughs> Go donate stuff to Never Again Action, or If Not Now, or the DSA, or uh, the Hong Kong Free Press, right? That's what it's called? Yes. The Hong Kong Free Press. So do all of that. And if you want to help support me personally, uh, tune in to twitch.tv slash partyworldwrestling on Friday, which is the day this comes out, uh, to see our live show with Kath Barbadoro and the dudes from Street Fight Radio. Yeah, that's going to be super fun in Houston. And uh, follow us on Game Boys and uh, and leave us some reviews and we'll read them on the show. Uh, sorry we didn't have a guest this week. We'll be back with a huge <laughs> guest next week, so guys. Big, uh, don't eight, miss us too much. Tall. Yeah, it's going to be Clifford. Um, oh, that's our episode. So my name is Lux. I'm your host, your co-host, Griffin Davis. Your editor and producer is Haley Clement. Your interactive producer is Matthew Moore. And your artist is Brittany Metz. Goodbye, Internet. We love you very much. Yeah! Da-da-da-da-da-da. Ha 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 ha